Welcome everybody. Uh, my name is Damon Davis. I wanna welcome you to the 2020 National Adoption Awareness Month Adoptee Podcaster Perspectives webinar. I'm joined today by Haley Radke and April Dinwiddie, and I'm gonna get into introducing them a little bit more a little in, a, in a moment. Um, I just wanted to share quickly that this is being recorded. So please be aware of your own microphone. If you would please stay on mute. I wanna also invite you to um, raise any questions, comments that you might have in the chat box. We're gonna try our best to get to any of those comments as soon as we can uh, after we have a little bit of a discussion about our respective podcasts and their, um, their purposes, and then a little bit about ourselves. So uh, without further ado, I wanted to sort of bring everybody together for a couple of different reasons. Um, I felt like it was important to sort of celebrate the diversity that is the adoption community. We have so many different folks from various walks of life, from their various ethnicities, geographic areas. I mean, you could just go on and on as you try to sort of separate us out into who we are individually. But I think one of the things that unites us is the adoption experience. We can all kind of relate to some of the things that others have been through and it generally kind of creates a kinship among us. Um, I also wanted to offer an opportunity to discuss some adoption related issues. And it's best to bring folks together in a forum where we can do something like this and who better than podcasters like myself, Haley and April, who have been interviewing and trying to understand folks like us, like you, um, for a couple of years now and across multiple hundreds of episodes. And um, I just wanted to take some time and have some Q&A. There's a lot going on in the world, and I think that adoption issues are incredibly important. So I wanted to make sure that we created space to um, have these conversations. And of course, this is going to be an online resource for other adoptees to tune into whenever they get a chance. So I want to thank every one of you from across the adoption constellation for being here today. I'm really excited to see all of the faces here in the crowd. I'm thankful to my guests who I'm going to introduce now. So uh, starting with myself, I'm Damon Davis. I run the Who Am I Really podcast. Uh, Who Am I Really is a show where I interview adoptees about their adoption experience and their reunion journey. It's a straight storytelling podcast. I launched it in March of 2017. And you can find the show online at whoamireallypodcast.com. You can find the show uh, on social medias at WAI Really. Uh, I'm also going to introduce Haley Radke. Haley is the host and producer of an adoption podcast called Adoptees On. Adoptees On started in June of 2016 and recently crossed a major milestone, passing the 500,000 download mark. So props to Haley for an amazing show. Um, those downloads apparently span 140 countries around the globe, uh, which I find absolutely fascinating. So welcome, Haley. You can find Haley online at Adoptees On Podcast on Facebook. You can find her at Adoptees On on social media, and I'll leave her to do some of the rest of her intro after I finish. But before I do that, I want to say a little quick word about April Dinwoody. April is also an adoptee podcaster. Uh, her show is Born in June, Raised in April, it was launched in February of 2016, is now in its fifth season. 
You can find her show online at aprildinwoody.com. And you can find her on socials at June in April. So with that, uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about my show just so that you get a feel for it. And then I'm going to kick it over to Haley so she can talk a little bit about her show and who she is. So as you probably know, I'm an adoptee. Uh, I'm in reunion with my biological parents separately, and I should say quickly, I'm going to use the words biological and natural parents and things like that interchangeably. I don't mean them as any disrespect to anybody within the adoption constellation. I simply use them for clarity as to who, what that relation of that person is to me. So if you hear words that don't necessarily resonate with how you describe a biological relative, a natural relative, or what have you, just recognize that I'm using them interchangeably for those purposes of identification, not as a signal as to my closeness to that person, for example. So um, I was inspired to locate my biological family when uh, the, my wife gave birth to my son. He was my first biological relative I ever knew, and it was an amazing experience. I also had some other experiences where I had family members who recounted history that just really helped me understand that there was a whole other family out there that knew a biological history of mine that I wasn't aware of. And it just really inspired me to seek out my natural relatives. So I was very fortunate. I found my biological mother working only two blocks away from me in Washington, DC. I was able to reunite with her on her birthday for a surprise. And it was just an amazing experience. But one of the things that I realized was as I started talking to other adoptees, I realized not everybody's story was as heartwarming as I felt mine was. There were an array of different experiences. And so the more I talked to other adoptees about their experiences, the more I recognized I need to help these folks share their stories, their voices as to what happened in their adoption experience. So that was the reason that I started the Who Am I Really podcast. I've said a lot. I'm going to pause. I want to turn it over now to Haley Radke. Make sure you come off mute. I want her to tell us a little bit about herself, her adoption journey, and then tell us a little bit about your podcast and how what made you get it started. Thanks, Damon. I'm so happy to be here with you all today. And yes, I too am adopted and I had a, a closed domestic adoption. I'm in Canada and I reunited with my first mother in my early 20s and we had a very brief four month reunion and she cut off contact after that. And then about a decade later, I reunited with my first father and I have three half siblings who are now all young adults. And we had a very tumultuous reunion. We had the honeymoon period followed by uh, great <laughs> problems, which led to a lot of counseling and uh, digging up all of those hard things that make relationships challenging when you are related to people, but perfect strangers as well. And so in, I'll put a pin in that, I've listened to podcasts for years and years and years and loved, loved podcasts uh, before they were cool. I used to have to download them on iTunes and then transfer them over to my little mp3 player as I was walking to university <laughs> uh, for to occupy my time on my walks and so when I connected with some adoptees on Twitter um, and we were connecting with how challenging reunion was and 
I just was like, oh my goodness, there are more people like me. This isn't like the perfect happy reunion for everyone. And I just got inspired and really thought it would be amazing if we could share these conversations in podcast form. And one of the most beautiful parts about podcasts, and I think probably Damon and Eva will agree with me, is how intimate they are. Um, We get to have a conversation one-on-one with our guest, but then sharing it with you, the listener, you're invited into the conversation and feel included. And I love that. That's one of my favorite parts about podcasting and why I've listened for so long. And so, uh, yes, my show is called Adoptees On, and I've been podcasting for, I think, about four and a half years now. And I've just built a really amazing community around my show. And yeah, 140 countries. Isn't that wild? Um, I wrote down the top five, just in case you're interested. So actually, though I'm in Canada, most of my listeners are American, about 70%. Then Canada, uh, the United Kingdom, Australia, and Ireland, um, all of whom you know, um, have their issues with adoption. (laughs) So um, I think that's why a majority of my listeners are from there. And on my podcast, um, I too do a storytelling part um, as Damon does. And then I also have a healing series where I interview adoptee therapists and we talk about the actual issues that adoptees face. Um, A lot of the times when people find my show, they think, oh my goodness, I didn't know anyone else felt this way. And so it's a really beautiful way of connecting, welcoming adoptees into the community and just knowing that they're not alone. April, why don't you tell us about your show and yourself? Hey, um, thanks Damon and uh, Haley for making the space and for everybody for being here. Um, Community is everything to me and has grown to be uh, such a container of healing and connectivity for um, my journey of transracial adoption. So I am a transracially adopted person. I appreciate you, Damon, so much for uh, for putting some, some context around language. I use family of origin, mother of origin, father of origin, family of experience, mother of experience, father of experience to, 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 to talk about my adoptive family versus my birth family. Um, but I toggle between language. Language is so critically important. So um, uh, I spent a little bit of time in foster care and then was adopted into uh, the Dinwiddie family, white community, white family, um, colorblind, the the whole nine. Um, So there was this layer of adoption and then an an additional layer of differences of race and culture that was present in my experience and virtually zero kind of holding or conversation or recognition of either one of those things within my experience as a child and through, you know, adolescence into young adulthood until adulthood, which is where, um, you know, the conversation gets, uh, gets, gets to see the delight of day because I'm creating it through my podcast and, and in those conversations also, um, creating conversations within my family of experience. Um, I am in reunion, partial reunion with my family of origin on my mother's side. Um, she was easy to find, hard to make a connection to. And um, ultimately she died without meeting, without me meeting her again as an adult. Uh, and then my half siblings found me and I am in reunion with my, um, uh, with my maternal side of the family. The inspiration for the podcast, one was to create space for 
conversation and connection. It is a straight interview. Um, it started as a personal narrative. In some ways I was interviewing myself or just talking about my experience. And then it moved into an interview format, which is very straightforward. And the interesting additional layer of the, the way in which the content is curated is due in part to the fact that my mother of origin named me, named me June Elizabeth and my family of experience, my parents of experience named me April Elizabeth. And they did not already know that I was June. And of course I am born in wait for it, October, uh, because everything and nothing makes sense. But for the fourth month, April, plus six, the sixth month, June, four plus six equals what? 10, October. So mm, it sort of does add up. Constantly looking for that like way in which things make sense in adoption. That said, what I do um, is deconstruct the calendar on my podcast each month. I, I, re I record monthly um, or I release monthly and have a, have a theme. Um, Valentine's Day, Mother's Day, Father's Day, all the things that uh, track with many of us who are living and breathing in the world, and if you're not off the grid, um, are tracking with a calendar functionality. So we, we, we may not celebrate these holidays or hold them in a specific way the same, but we know they're coming. So that is, is sort of the way in which the podcast is constructed today, lets us talk about our family experiences and our uh, identity, um, differences of race, class, and culture, holidays, and some real practical stuff that I think a lot of parents who listen can put into action based on raising children today who are adopted. Uh, so it's kind of the kind of the gig. Started in um, yeah February of 2016. And quick side note: my my cousin, my first cousin, um, biologically connected to me through my mother, who I was in, in, in re reunion with, it was all her idea. She said, April, you really should start a podcast. Like, um, and so it's all her fault, cousin Madeline. Uh, but really she encouraged me and uh, really, I'm so glad she did because it's been certainly a healing um, journey for me, but the, the way in which I think the community responds is, is really, sort of breathtaking sometimes and really reminds me that even though it's hard to expose certain things about family and um, I get sometimes have to have very hard conversations with my family, it's so worth it when you look at the long tail of what changes need to be um, made in adoption and foster care in this country. Yeah, absolutely. So one, I appreciate each of you sort of sharing a perspective as to where you've come from in the adoption constellation, how you arrived at this point of podcasting about it. I think it's interesting to hear that kind of color from each of you. Haley, a longtime podcast listener who just said, you know what, I can help these stories come out by making my own show. And then obviously, April, your cousin, suggesting that you create a space for this kind of conversation. I think it's really cool. Um, I wanted to ask each of you, you know, we have you know, 100 guests here, and there could have been probably hundreds more. And in having spoken with each of them over time, we have all learned something new and different. I know I have sat on my show and listened to people and gotten a new perspective. I've learned a new piece of jargon in the adoption constellation. I have heard experiences where I thought I knew the direction of the story, and it's gone a completely different way. Um, some of them happy and wonderful, and some of them incredibly dark and surprising as to how people can treat each other um, as humans. What I would love to know from each of you, and April, I'm going to start with you. What did, what, how has your perspective on adoption changed 
as you have interviewed more and more guests, you, you dissect the calendar as part of your podcast. How has your, your podcast experience changed how you think about adoption, either something that guests have said or just a, you know, a, a dissection of the calendar as it applies to your own life? Tell me a little bit about what you think of when you think of where you used to be as, to, as opposed to where you are now as an adoption podcaster. Well, it's a great question. And, I, you know, I've, I've always learning and always recalibrating kind of the experience of adoption, but there are some themes that sort of like are, 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 are thread throughs that this, they keep coming up all the time. And, 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 and it really is about a lack of ability, skill, will, all the things to lean into the tough parts of life, right? Um, adoption, my tagline of my podcast is what adoption can teach the world. I was very careful to add that pot, that, that tagline uh, several years ago because I don't like that our lives of adoption can be, um, you know, exhibits of on some level, um, some of the hardest relationship identity work that there is and facing the really hard things about our human existence. But I, I'm, I'm reminded every time I interview someone at the high level of intricacy of the experiences of adoption and how when we are operating at the highest level of engagement through the professionals who surround us in adoption, through parents who, who are, um, all parents in, 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 in the adoption, extended family of adoption. Um, if we're, we're operating at the highest level, that's, that's what all parents should be operating at that highest level. And the irony is that what I've learned to come in, 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 in kind of in, in link together in my brain, which I believe is true, if, if, more, if more parents operated the way in which adoptive parents should operate, steering into complexity, being open about identity formation, um, um, looking, you know, looking directly at trauma and, and support for healing, um, there'd be less adoption, right? Like it, it's like if there's an irony in this like process of really deconstructing adoption through this like every day, month by month, like here are the things that are happening. Well, what are we gonna do about Thanksgiving? Who's around that table? How do we make symbolic, if we can't make real time space for a family of origin at that table, how do we make symbolic space for those folks that they're not hanging on the edges? So I think I've just learned how to kind of um, process my own experience, but then also bring about this like heightened level of, of, of expectation of parenting and, and, and our human experiences and relationship experience. So. Hopefully that answers the question, but that's kind no, of, but I, and I keep relearning it over. I keep learning it over and over and over again. Yeah, no, I can ab absolutely appreciate the angle you're coming from there. It's, you're right. There's a lot to be said for the consideration of how parents, be they parents of origin or uh, natural parents, I mean, of adoptive parents are thought of how they interact with us, be it in reunion or in our daily lives in adoption, what have you. I mean, there's a lot of complex intricacy there that needs to be considered. And um, I think it's even lost on 
many of those folks that we're close to, be they adoptive parents or uh, natural parents, what has transpired for us to have been transplanted from one family to another family? Like, I don't even know if they actually get it, right? And it sometimes takes a little while for that to be caught up, um, caught up for them. So Haley, let me ask you the same question. You have been podcasting for four years, and I'm sure that you started from a certain place and that your um, experiences with interviewing folks over time, and especially as you've had this healing series, you've had experts on who have an array of different uh, topics that they can convey to the audience as to their own expertise in trauma, in therapy, and healing, and, and the adoption journey in general. How has your perspective changed from, say, podcast one to, you know, the 5,000th download? <laughs> I think I started out knowing how uh, challenging adoption was, uh, especially from the adoptee perspective, and knowing that there was layers of grief and things there. And I actually have uh, my, my bachelor's degrees in psychology. So I have a, you know, working knowledge of that field, um, but I'm not a therapist myself. But over time, I've learned more and more about myself, how much more healing there is to do and about all the ways that adoptees can be taking good, good care of themselves um, because there is so much pain. And, and I think the, one of the sad things I've learned is really how deep the pain goes for so many of us. And um, we use that lingo coming out of the fog. And for a lot of people, when they're coming out of the fog, it's really traumatic. And I used to sort of think of coming out of the fog as just like, oh, coming into this awareness that there is a loss in adoption and, and these other impacts for us about being disconnected from our family of origin. But when you really think about the psychological, emotional, uh, literal neurobiological uh, changes that have happened in our brains when we are separated um, from our first parents, uh, yeah, that kind of blew my mind. And as I continue to learn more about that, I just learn how much I don't know. Yeah, it's... I'll, I'll go ahead and answer the question too, because the last thing you said really resonated. That was what got me to a point of really wanting to start a show where we interview folks about their own experiences, because I began to realize just in casual conversation with folks, how much I didn't know. And so for me, I was talking to folks again about this, you know, what could almost be termed a like a Hallmark made-for-TV tearjerker movie. Like this young kid goes away, goes to college and graduate school, blah, 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 has this great amazing life, has a son, and then goes and finds his biological mother. And she's working around the corner and he surprises her on her birthday. Like it seems like a movie script. Um, but, the, the you know, as I spoke to other adoptees, I realized, you know, some of them would say, yeah, my, my parents were horrible people and they never should have had children. Um, I've had people say, uh, you know, I located my biological relatives and uh, I just realized how different we are. And I, I chose not to have anything to do with them or vice versa. They chose not to have anything to do with me. And I just, again, I began to realize the array of experiences and how drastically different they could be. 
uh, I, I, I frequently refer to this image that I can't get out of my mind of like a soundboard in a, in a music studio where it's got 10,000 knobs on it. And if you turn one knob or you slide one slide, you get a different sound. And that's kind of what I think the adoption experience can be like for people. Had I grown up in April's community with her parents, I would be a completely different person. You slide two knobs in it, you know what I mean? And so I just find it to be fascinating that we are all coming from such different angles, but have this shared experience of having been transplanted from one family to another. And then many of us trying to find our way back. And I can see questions in the chat about that. I'm gonna remind folks, as you think of questions as we're talking, please go over to the chat. We are looking back and forth in the chat and we're trying to find some of the questions that we'd love to answer. So stack them up in there because there will come a time when we're gonna have a little bit of Q and A. But before we get to that, I have another, another set of things that I'd love for us to go through because Haley, April and I sat before this call and we planned a little bit about what we wanted to cover for ourselves in terms of topics before we open it up for some Q&A discussion. And uh, going back to you, April, one of the things that you talked about was the importance of doing our own personal healing. And you've alluded to that a couple of times. You wanna just share some of your thoughts and your work around the personal healing space for adoptees? Mm, um, sure. It, it, it had long been my experience, been in the work, I would say, um, part-time for over 18 years now, starting my adoptment mentoring program or adopted adults mentor to youth and foster care, to speaking what my white parents didn't know and why it turned out okay anyway. He's stuff talking about race, class, and culture differences and how to how to help professionals along this journey. Um, I was blessed at the very beginning of all this to meet a handful of adopted adults that were my peers uh, that really created a sense of community for me. And it wasn't until later in my journey where I started to see how much pain our community was in and how we were treating each other. Um, and so it, I, I was reminded of the importance of doing your own personal work along this journey if you are going to be putting your voice out there and being a purveyor of content because it's too risky if you're not sort of leaning into, okay, what, what do I need? Um, what is my, what does my self-care regime look like? Um, because you're working with the dynamic of you have a community to, to hold and to, and to respond to and to um, be responsible to on some level, right? And that community is the extended family of adoption. We, you know, all, the, all those folks that are in that, which is wide and big and we, our community grows and we consider all of those people in the extended families. And then closer in, I have my own family to manage and deal with, right? And the things that I talk about on my podcast are often ways in which my family is exposed. I'm certainly exposed, but that's me and I have agency to say what I what I am and am not gonna expose, but then I'm in, in, in other ways exposing people who have really no interest in being part of a podcast or didn't, you know, they would have one if they wanted to. So I think that that underpinning, all of that is underpinned by like really making sure that there's um, 
mental health supports in my life, that there is yoga and upside down, you know, stuff, um, inversions often and, and exercise and, and water and all the things. I just feel like whether you're podcasting or not, the journey of adoption is one that requires a healthy bit of um, self-care. So I think it's an important thing that we all should be thinking about, but specifically if you're going to be putting content out, just putting that scaffolding around ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's well said. And it's a, it's an interesting point because um, <laughs> I often think of the guests that I have who bring journeys and stories and challenges and traumas and, and joys and, and amazing, incredible experiences um, that they many times have or are struggling with. And I can see some comments in the chat to alluding to this as well. Um, and, and I try to help folks through it, but as was said, I'm not clinically trained. I'm just an empathetic listener. Uh, but I also recognize that we, as the podcasters, like you come along on this person's journey as they're telling it, and you get emotionally invested in this person as well. And I don't know about y'all, but I have cried and laughed with so many guests over time. And some of that personal care is empathizing with the person and making sure that you create space for yourself to sort of decompress from the elevated emotion that you felt having been part of this person's journey for 60 to 90 minutes as you talk through the thing. And then as you think about the entirety of the adoption experience and has just how many different ways it can be sliced for the, the good, the bad, and the other. I mean, it's just really incredible, but I think you're absolutely right that there's an incredible piece of the self-healing, the, the acknowledgement of your own needs for care that is incredibly important. I'm going to turn it to Haley. I want to give her an opportunity to sort of respond to that and then obviously ask uh, or address the issue that she would like to raise. So Haley, over to you. Did you have anything that you wanted to sort of respond to in April's comments? And then um, what you wanted to talk about was the whole truth about adoption, not just the heartwarming reunions, but the entire truth. So let me give you a chance to respond there, April, and then um, and then talk a little bit about telling the whole truth. Thank you. Yeah, I think one thing um, our listeners don't get a chance to see is the conversations we have once we stop recording. So, um, you know, Damon and April, you're mentioning, you know, all of these really hard things that people will share with us. And, you know, I've spent many times crying after we've recorded and, and making sure that the guest still feels safe in sharing this episode. Is that something they still want to do? Because I'm not a reporter out to like get them and like put up some, you know, story that they're not comfortable with once we've chatted. I've never had that happen to have someone pull it. But um, and then also just making sure like um, a lot of people after uh, interviews with me, they'll feel like um, the same as if they've had a therapy appointment. Again, I'm not a therapist. It's more just all spending all that emotional labor for an hour right and they're so they're so tired and and for a few days after they might be feeling drained and and all those emotions and things and so um I think part of my self-care just uh, just like you Damon I'm that empathetic uh, person and I do feel like I'm taking it on but I try and care of them um after we chat and so 
that for me feels like I'm also building into myself because that's something I really, um, that's just me. I don't know. I I can't help it no matter how much my therapist tells me I need to um, cut that out. Um, (laughs) um, But yeah, going to talking about the whole truth about adoption, uh, I think that this is sort of how we got here with thinking that all the adoption reunion things are the heartwarming stories is that's what we see on the six o'clock news. And Damon and I talked a little bit about that when he was on um, Adoptees On um, a little while ago. And those are the things that are reported and shared. And those are the videos that go viral, those moments at the airport when you're coming down the escalator and um, you have the hug moment. And it was always so upsetting to me that they don't show the after and the fights and um, what it feels like to send off a nasty email because your bio dad didn't reply fast enough to your <laughs> first one. <Right. laughs> no, that's not from personal experience. That's just, you know, hypothetical. Right. As an example. Um, yeah. So I think that in telling the whole truth, the good and the bad, um, and showing like the reality of things that we're helping other adoptees who are going through um, a search and reunion experience know what to really expect. You know, we've really failed adoptees in setting them up for this expectation of the honeymoon reunion when that is only the first stage if you're even lucky enough to get a reunion. Mm-hmm. Some people don't even want a reunion. Um, So telling the whole picture, I think, is really important. Um, The other thing I wanted to say about podcasting, and especially these adoptee voices, I think that we are having a social impact changing the adoption narrative for the general public. And in sharing the whole truth of the story, we're really challenging people's preconceived notions of what adoption is. And not just that, we are, uh, I don't know if you want to hear this listeners, we are training listeners to have language that they can repeat to their friends and family to tell the whole truth about adoption. And so there is a huge ripple effect when we share the whole experience, the good and the bad. Um, And I, I also want to add this that you always want to do that from a safe place because it's not always the right time for you to tell your whole truth. Um, But it is when coming from a place of healing, um, as April said, that that's when we can really share the whole adoption experience, um, the good and the bad. Um, And I think will really impact society. Yeah, I agree. I think you know, it's interesting. As you were speaking, I was thinking about some of the stories that I've heard. And one of the things that, well, I've heard, and I'm sure you guys have heard from your guests, because you alluded to it, Haley, the idea that um, speaking to another adoptee about your experience, and, and in many cases, it's the first time they've ever shared their entire journey with somebody. And even if they've shared three quarters of it, half of it, the person that they were speaking with un- was unlikely to be able to truly empathize with what it was that they were conveying that they had been through. And that piece, I feel really um, appreciative of the fact that they're trusting us with their journey. 
right? They're literally opening their heart in a way that has never happened before. And as my guest, I want to respect that and welcome it in and, and, and support it so that they can feel comfortable sharing the entire thing. On the flip side, I've had an occasional guest say to me, after my show, my family listened to it and they never realized my perspective until they heard me tell it to you. And so they get, and I, I, my sense is that our show, our shows are offering this truth into the world about adoption that has never really been done before because it's the adoptee's story as told by the adoptee, and especially in my case, but in, you know, the healing series or other opportunities, you know, the, the ways that you dissect things, April, are other opportunities, but the idea that you're able to bring these things to light for others to listen to. And I've, I've joked about, um, you know, every once in a while, I'll get a natural mother who will email me, or I'll get someone else who is sort of what I like to refer to as adoption adjacent. They have not grown up with their natural father, and then they find out that the person they grew up with wasn't their natural father, and they go on this quest to find the right, the real person. And so they can totally relate to these adoption journeys that we help to convey. And I just, I feel like people, it's like I was joking with somebody, when you're a parent and you're driving along in the car and your kids are in the back and they're talking like you're not even in the car. So you get to hear all of their thoughts, but you're not saying anything because you want them to just keep going. It's kind of like that with these podcasts to me, that we are openly expressing ourselves and anybody who's listening can come in and sort of listen in on what, what we're saying and and, uh, and begin to empathize. And I think that that's incredibly important. I think it has concentric circles going out. It starts with us. It then goes to the families whom we're connected with, be they natural or adopted. And then it goes out to a broader community of folks who may be um, sensitive or at least aware of, of adoption issues. So um, I appreciate your, your points. Uh, we've got a lot of questions coming in to the chat, which is really exciting for me. I hope April and Haley, you guys have been tuning into the chat to select some that you would like to address. Uh, and let me just ask you real quick, do you have some that you're seeing in the chat that you wanna start off with? There are a couple, and then there, there's one thing I wanted to sort of just put a bow on, which is Go ahead. the fact that all of this is very, is highly, is relational risky business, right? Mm -hmm. Because we have our family of origin to manage. If we are in reunion with them, we have our family of experience to manage. We also have our community to manage. So mm -hmm. it's it's a high level of risk. The reward on the other side though, is to, to Haley's and your points, a much more authentic relationship to the experience mm -hmm. and to really hard things. And it, and it requires us to get more practice in the hardest parts of our, like our shared humanity, right? It just, it, it really, we really have to practice. And many of us aren't practiced in that. Our job is to sort of show people the way on some level through these narratives, but again, risky business. And, and, and with that little, that little kind of connection point, there's someone who asked a question about, um, um, you know, being accepted um, as, as a, transracially adopted person, black, biracial, being, I think that was one of the questions I see in here. Um, you know, were you accepted? What's interesting is the, the, um, 
the thread through on the adoption experience as well, because truth be told, there are times when white people don't accept me and black people don't accept me. There's also truth be told, there are times when I've, I've really like done a number on both family of origin and family of experience because I've spoken my truth, right? Mm -hmm. So there's this, this, this connectivity to the both and of navigating those, those worlds and what that requires and this is where this is where the the hardest piece of this is. Um, it requires us to be really solid in our identities, in our racial identities, in our adoption identities, in order to to be out in the world and sort of come up against that. Like, who do you think you are? You're not black enough. You're not white enough. Um, your your family's weird. You know, you um, you, you don't uh, you don't have your medical history. You know, like all so so with that in mind, um, my headline to all of this is to folks: if you're if you're if you're an adopted person navigating differences of race, your own um, in, in in space and time that we're in, um, you know, keep on that path of, of 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 racial identity and 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 require those folks around you to do their to do their personal racial identity work as well. But if you're a parent and you're a professional, or any of those realms, like don't let adopted persons do it on their own. Like we need your help. We need you to elevate how you're moving through these experiences on our behalf and understanding the complexity because especially when race, differences of race and culture are part of it because you, we, we find ourselves in, in, in isolated and unique situations from family structure to um, our racial identities. And we oftentimes need that scaffolding and that support that we don't get. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's exactly right. Wow. Uh, Haley, do you see any questions or did you, I know we've gotten some questions, many of us over social media. Tell me what kinds of things are you seeing that you'd like to, to tune into? Well, I just wanted to note there was a, a question about how did we find our parents? And I think a lot of us have shared our stories on our podcast. Um, so if that's something that you want, maybe we can provide um, some links to episodes where we've told our stories. Mm -hmm. um, I know April and Damon have both been on the Adoptees On podcast and I, we've had a whole little um, thing going. Uh, yeah. So I just like to note that for you. There's a lot more content out there um, where you can hear those things. Um, yeah, just say quickly, how did you locate your, let's just do it really fast for folks who don't know. Tell us how you found your biological or your natural family, Haley. Uh, I live in a province that has open records was mm -hmm. able to get my open records and my maternal grandparents still lived at the same address. Mm -hmm. So I was a phone book searcher to confirm wow. that they were at the same address and wrote a letter to find my first mother. And then my biological father has a unique last name. So I found him on Facebook. Wow. <laughs> April? Um, I used a search angel. Uh, which is, for those who don't know, um, volu largely volunteer or low cost, um, usually members of the adoption community who will search on behalf of those of us who are looking, um, usually adopted persons. And the search got real when I got organized. Once I put everything in a binder, literally, like it was like the light bulb started to go off. And it's like, it was just, everything was a mess until I put it in some order, like off to the races. I'm not suggesting that happens for everyone, but that was just me, it was like symbolic and spiritual and all the things. Once that happened, my mother of origin was actually very quite, 
quite easy to find. The harder part was making a relationship with her. And again, she passed before I got to meet her again as an adult. Um, my father of origin due to very extreme circumstances around my conception, um, sexual violence, uh, it, it, rape, um, my mother of origin in the couple of conversations I had with her did not, would not give me any information about um, my birth father. So I'm still on all the DNA sites and trying to track to, you know, genealogists and stuff to see if we can find find him. Um, so I'm hopeful, but cautiously optimistic about all of that, um, that whole reality of, of my coming into the world and the, um, you know, how I was conceived. Yeah. Uh, following, so I've also had Haley and April on my show, so we can all share out links to the interviews that we have done with one another so that you can hear us each tell our full stories uh, from them. But in, in my journey, I was born in Baltimore, Maryland, and I always knew that. So I reached out to Baltimore City Social Services when my son was born to initiate a search. A very, very short time later, my mother, my biological mother was found quite easily. She had retained her maiden name because she wanted to be found. And as I've already said, she was working two blocks away from me uh, when, I, when I was able to locate her. I haven't alluded to my natural father yet. So interestingly, my biological mother told me who she thought the right guy was. And I sought this dude out and we chatted for a little while. And I was just like, I'm not feeling this guy at all. Like just zero connection. And I was ready to let the relationship die and he actually cut it off in a very brief letter that basically said, I'm not the dude. And I just, I was shocked. And so I ended up uh, letting the whole thing die in my mind and sort of wrapping my mind around the fact that I might never meet this dude. And interestingly, my wife's mother, my mother-in-law is also an adoptee. So we got in this big swirl of a conversation about uh, trying to find her relatives. So we all did DNA tests and totally randomly, I wasn't even looking for this dude. My biological father's name popped up as a connection to me on ancestry DNA. So this thing that I was starting to let die in my own journey and just give up on suddenly was brought back to the fore. And fortunately he was receptive and had fond memories of my mother, which I thought was great, uh, which was completely opposite of the reaction the other guy had. He couldn't even remember her. So um, there you can hear sort of a different array of how everybody's journey goes. As, as I look at the, the names on the screen, I recognize many and I can remember some of the various stories that we've heard from each of you about how you have attempted to um, found or not found your biological relatives. So it can be a struggle. Um, I'm going to take a question that I just saw come up in the chat, which basically alludes to the idea that... Um, we're doing great work, we're elevating adoptee voices, but is there a danger to sort of positioning this work as making it seem like adoptee voices are the only important voices that matter? Uh, let me turn it over to you guys to see what your opinions are on whether we're just, you know, we're speaking loudly and we're speaking clearly about the experience. Is there a danger of making it seem like we're the only, we're the only voices that matter? <laughs> Haley, you wanna go first? <laughs> Why? Because I had the most shocked look on my face. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I feel like it's our turn. I, I think I probably uh, have a um, really biased opinion on that um, mm -hmm. from some of my interactions with 
other people in the constellation who have really uh, denigrated adoptee voices, including to my face, which is very upsetting. And so I know I know I have healing work to do. You guys, I just said that. Um, but yeah, I think I think we really need to hear from more adoptee voices. I'll double down on that, Haley. And also the way that I have manifested some other connections to this work, I think it's a really valuable, it's a valuable question. It's a valid question, right? It's it 100% yeah. valid, but no question. So Rich, I, you put that in, totally valid question. And one that as I've like gotten more into the professional element of coaching and being in connection to professionals, which is where I sort of really started doing that work. Um, and I'm not a clinician, uh, but what I found is that we absolutely have to have a, an open relationship to parents or else this, this, this will, this will continue to be, um, a, a solo journey for adopted persons, right? Without that that higher level of, of, of engagement from professionals and parents. And if we don't bring them into the conversation on some level, um, they will turn off. And, and then we have a, the next generations of young people, young adopted persons who don't have the support and scaffolding that they need. So one of the things that I've been doing is kind of looking at this idea of all parents are my parents. Right. So this idea that I give, I, I, I hold them I just as, as much as accountable as my parents that I love, but I, I also hold love for them. And I also hold this idea that there's a level of expectation that has to be really clear and, and realistic around the, the work that parents and human beings can do in the space of adoption, which has long been, isn't this great? Isn't this perfect? Nothing more to see here. So it, I think it's all of these things. And we're at this, this very interesting intersection of things being pulled back, who thought we could do DNA, who thought we, we don't, never thought you'd be able to find these folks. Like we're at this very interesting intersection of all these things coming together that without the parents kind of tuning in and being in service of this better way, we will continue to have generations of folks that said, adoptive voices must, 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 must be at the center. And we, we really do need the mic um, versus the parents and the professionals who usually get the mic well before we do, especially yeah. looking at white parents, to be clear. Yeah, I, I like the last piece that you said that basically everybody else gets the mic before we do, because that was exactly what I was going to say, that adoptions happened without our acknowledgement nor consent. I mean, we're infants. There's no way we could have been expressed an opinion except for the cries that we probably had when we were in whatever way, if you were adopted as an infant taken from your, your uh, biological mother. If you were adopted at a later age, you obviously had sensitivity to where you came from. And you're like, where do I keep going? And why do I not have a home yet? Whatever the sort of circumstance might be. Um, so there's this whole adult world that has been operating on our behalf before we've had this opportunity to have the mic. The other piece, though, that struck me when I thought about initiating the podcast was I started looking around, and many people have said this to me about what, on the show or what have you, is I was searching for adoptee voices, and I just found your podcast. And they're finding me like at episode 120, 130, whatever the thing is. But when I was searching for adoptee pod, adoption podcasts before, when I initiated the show, they were often adoptive parents talking about their own experience in adoption, 
and they were often shows about how to adopt, what the process is, the legality, what you can do in different areas, resources that you might have. Point being, everything that I saw, aside from Haley's show at the time, I hadn't discovered uh, April's yet, was directed at the adults still. It wasn't directed at the adoptees, which was why I felt like I wanted to jump in. So back to Haley's point, I do, I feel like it's our time. I don't think we're in any danger of making it seem like the adoptee voice is the only voice that should be heard. Quite frankly, it hasn't been heard enough before this moment. So I'm of the opinion that we're in the right space at the right time to amplify this um, experience that we've had. It's a lived experience that's real, it can't be denied. And therefore, I think it's the kind of thing that needs to be shared. So um, think about what additional questions that you guys would like to pull from chats or social media. I wanna address one here that's in the chat from Tim. He says he has a basic question relating to the podcast. And who are we really? You know, the idea of our origins and our experiences, it sounds like it's something that he's struggling with. And I've, I've heard that before, and that can come from a variety of different angles. There's the person who has attempted reunion and had secondary rejection. There's the person who lived their life and is a late discovery adoptee, someone who grew up not realizing they were adopted and then suddenly hears or discovers the news and their life has had a tectonic shift in the way that it was, um, in the trajectory that it was on previously. And it can make you struggle with who you are. There are folks who um, have fears about learning about their conception, hoping that it's a story of love, but ultimately learning that it may have been something else. And that can be something that they struggle to not let them define who they are. Say a couple of words about how you help people to sort of center themselves on the being that they are, the person that they are striving to be versus allowing the adoption experience itself to define their life as an adult. Mm. Um, it's, a, it's a really good question. Um, recently, I did a, um, an assembly for like 500 kids. Uh, I do a lot of school assemblies and we speak, you know, I speak about my adoption experience and open up this whole conversation about family structure and identity and differences of race and culture and um, one of the questions was, you know, how have, how from a young person, a junior high schooler, right? So they're ready. We're, we're not usually ready, um, but uh, the young people are ready to stare into complexity and they want to ask, you know, when, when given the invitation, they will come in. But one of the questions was, how have you not had your adoption identity and your race be the defining things? How have you come through this experience to be able to speak on these things? And I'm still on that journey. I, I think I'm still on that journey. And part of the, the fast track of that journey has been about recognizing that I, I, have, I, I, I have a voice and I have the ability to share experiences and to bring other folks into that conversation in a, in a space of, to, to Haley's point, which she does so beautifully and, and Damon, you as well, 100%, um, this container of real psychological and emotional safety one that is 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 a place of warmth and a place of discovery and a place of real empowerment. So part of my growth and and how that happened, I think that how that growth actually was exponential was in starting this podcast and being um, and 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 being squarely rooted in this in this idea that oh yeah, there's more to tell. It's more to say here, and I, I if not, why not me, right? Um, 
comes with its, its risky business, like I said, but it, it comes with a lot of, I think a lot of um, an, an empowerment from an identity standpoint. And I wanna make sure we get to this question that's in there at some point too about um, professionals and adoption competency stuff. But I want Haley, I want you to stay on this for a second, but I don't wanna lose that because it's so important. Go ahead. Well, I, I think that's uh, a, a perfect segue. I think identity formation is so critical for us and I'm still doing that in my late thirties. Uh, I've, I've, I've mentioned this to a few people and just in the last couple of weeks, like I'm still discovering things I like because I've suppressed so far down um, just being who I should be for everyone else around me. And so I think that's just kind of just a lifelong journey, um, mm -hmm. sorry to say, but um, as far as adoption competent therapists, that's so critical. And the people that I have on my show as therapists, they're all adoptees themselves. Mm -hmm. And so I pre-screen them to make sure they are um, focused on the adoptee experience, but yet because they are adoptees themselves, they have that lived experience. But I feel like that's quite a luxury to be able to have an adoptee who is your therapist. Um, I, my therapist is not adopted. I actually found her because um, the group of psychologists and therapists that she works with uh, work mostly with foster children. So they all have a really good understanding of attachment and trauma, which are things that I really think are very important when um, you are looking for a therapist as an adopted person. Um, I think people have a variety of ways they like to go about healing. So really investigate what you think will work for you. Like I have people who strictly focus on um, healing through creativity means and writing and art and those kinds of things. And then I have the people who are very scientific focused and say, I want to see the studies that prove that EMDR is going to work for me or brain spotting um, or any of those uh, scientifically proven uh, methods. So I think there's a lot of research to be done before you're able to find that. And then um, now I'm speaking as, um, you know, I'm white, domestically adopted to white family, but there's a lot of uh, complexity with race and um, LGBTQ issues and those kinds of things. So you also want to make sure your therapist will hold space for you as a whole person. Um, what other, other um, identities that you bring to the table? Because um, yes, we are adopted people, but we are all more than just that. Um, so I think um, the other point before I let you guys answer that is I want you to know it's okay to ask your therapist or potential therapist or psychologist those questions before you meet with them. And if it's not a good fit the first time, you can keep looking. And that, um, I feel like people kind of get stuck in like, oh, well, it's kind of scary to like ask them questions. And you can ask them like, hey, have you ever read The Primal Wound? Or have you worked with adult adoptees before? Um, you absolutely are in a position, seat of power when you are choosing your therapist and you can ask them those questions to pre-screen them. Absolutely. That's a good point. You're, you're absolutely right. It, it, it can be valuable to take the time to figure out who this person is, what angle they're coming from before you put them on your show. I'm going to get back to your, your question in a minute, April, but I just want to address someone. Lori here says she's going to be starting a blog and she wants to list out resources that are available on the blog 
this is that this relates to that. If you take the time to vet each of these and share them as your own trusted um, sort of library of resources, I think that that's a valuable use of your time. So thanks for that question. April, I'm going to turn it back to you. You had something that you wanted to address that I want to make sure that you get to. So go ahead. Yeah, it, it, talking about like meeting the moment, right? You've got this, the veil of adoption, secrecy, shame, and all the things is starting to peel back, right? And we're having all these conversations, yet we have a, we have generations of parents and professionals who haven't either had the skill or the will to, to, to be the support system and to recognize and hold space for healthy identity development, trauma, um, family structure. Uh, so adjacent to, you know, all this is the professional, you know, teachers, Nam, I saw, I saw your teachers, um, doctors, um, you know, uh, even criminal justice, you know, professionals that any professional that meets family today needs to be thinking about not only adoption as a, as a, as a reality in terms of identity family structure, but also, um, third-party reproduction, um, you know, um, blended families, you know, we, we, we're not meeting families where they are today. And, and, and it's more, it's, it's, it's the most pronounced I've seen it was, it is when the, is within the adoption experience. And so this, this, like, this thing that's happening now, which is, which is great, but it's, it's, it's actually very intricate work. It's working with young people, like say in the schools that I work with, it work with young people. And then without a doubt, you have to be engaging parents as well and the professionals. So you're doing professional development for the folks who are meeting the children every day in their, in their school settings. You're bringing parents in to talk about um, the, 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 the themes and the essence of, of what tracks for their young person. And then you're, you're, you're empowering the young person to then be, you know, engaged in this, like in, in, in this real conversation and real getting the support that they need, voicing that support. Um, and, and it's, it, it, there's a, we have a long way to go, but I'm seeing evidence of parents who and professionals who are like, oh my gosh. And the truth is what they're doing is tracking back to their family experiences and their identity and finding the gaps and the holes in their life experiences, which, which create barriers to really leaning into their children's experiences. So it's, 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 it's work that we know how to do. We just have not done it squarely for adoption because we just didn't think we had to. It was too hard, all the different things. But now we're, we're here and it's going to be a lot, but you know, Th these podcasts are part of that shift, that seismic shift that's needed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, I'd like to turn to another question that I've seen here in the chat. Chris is a late discovery adoptee and basically is asking for resources that may be valuable to an LDA. My initial thought on that is, you know, <laughs> it can be challenging to find adoption competent therapy anyway, regardless of which segment of adoption you fall into. Um, probably further challenging to find something specific to late discovery adoptees. And I feel like that's an opportunity, honestly, in the therapeutic space for there to be more adoption competent therapists brought forward and have them, I, I will frequently share my show with people who are in any level of therapeutic delivery because I want them to allow folks to have a resource that they can take away from their therapy session and say, let me go listen to some other stories and find some things that may be valuable to me. But that's not necessarily sort of LDA specific 
I wonder if you guys, do you have any resources that you could recommend for a late discovery adoptee specifically? And just what's your thought on building out the adoption competent therapy space for those who are really seeking someone who can identify with, with what they've been through? Well, I'll comment on that because uh, I actually have my episode this week is an interview with a late discovery adoptee. And um, so we talk about their story and, and they just discovered it in their 60s. Um, so very, very late. And uh, so we mentioned a few resources and um, I can uh, send you a note, uh, Chris, um, links to those. There are some late discovery adoptee forums on Facebook. Um, mm -hmm. There's also one, uh, the adult adoptee support um, it's a, it's, it's not a fa Facebook. It's a dot. What am I, okay. I, I'll have to find the link to send it to you, Chris. Um, they also have a late discovery adoptee forum. There's a number of, of those that are quite small communities, but, uh, from what I understand, quite supportive and helpful. And, um, the other thing with late discovery adoptees is I think if you can connect with, um, NPEs, uh, who are, um, non-paternity events or not expected parents, um, they have a connection as well. Um, so I think it was mentioned earlier, I don't know, April or Damon, if you, you noted that, but people who are doing the DNA testing and discover that their father wasn't their father all along. Mm -hmm. And so I think you have a, a common thread there and um, can find some people who are going through some of the same identity rebuilding that you're likely um, doing. I don't have that personal experience, but um, mm -hmm. I will mute myself and I'll go find those links for you and message them too. Let me just say real quick, April, before you jump in, one of the great things that I love that Haley does is always ask the guests for resources that they've used and then she lists them off. I would love to do that. I'm Unfortunately, I just don't make time to do it. But I think that Haley's podcast and website and the episodes therein, and April, forgive me, I haven't delved into yours to know if you got a resource center in a similar fashion, but I do know that Haley takes time to cultivate a list of resources because part of her goal is to make sure that you can walk away with stuff that you can tune into and use on your own. April, over to you, what, what kinds of things are on your mind? Yeah, um, so I don't have a resource section, but I do try to add into the podcast like when there is something that people have utilized just to mm -hmm. let people know where to find that. Um, there are, some, you know, there's, there's resources in a lot of places, but it usually isn't curated super well. I mean, Haley does one of the best jobs I've seen at, um, of, of pulling those together for the community, which is fantastic. So thank you for that. Um, just back to the adoption competency piece of this. Um, there, there are very few programs that are truly about creating space for especially the therapeutic community around adoption competency. Um, the good news I think is that we are learning more about trauma and trauma-informed care and that dovetails right into the adoption experience. I mean, part of really being adoption competent is understanding trauma, especially um, you know, family of origin loss and um, those disconnections. So it's something that I think the community, it's like supply and demand, right? It's urgency. It's like if the community starts to demand more of it and especially especially privileged parents who, um, the, the adopting parents who sometimes hold a lot more power than some of, of us in the world, you know, if, if they are taking the lead to say, we need these things and, and, and really being advocates for um, the community more generally, uh, I think that's, that's 
critically important. So it's it's a long it's a long there's a long tail in it, like I said before. But I see little glimmers of hope in terms of having more adoption competent support, both therapeutically, mental health, but also in you know in the medical field, in um, education, in the places again that are meet, meeting families and children. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up the edu- uh, the medical field because I was just thinking about that as a result of a comment Anne makes in the chat. She says basically she was at the cardiologist and when she was um, ag- asked about her family health history, she acknowledged that she was adopted and the doctor basically said, you know, are you allowed to know that information about yourself? And she says, I mean, it, it looks like she was incredulous over the fact that a physician would ask you that. And and I've heard other insensitivities in some of my guests. I remember at least one person telling me, you know, I've, I've often heard the frustration. I would go to the doctor, they would ask me my family health history, and I would have to say, I'm, I don't know, I'm adopted. And there's that first layer of just personal frustration with the fact that you're not able to contribute to your own medical care because you don't know. The next piece has sometimes been stated as, and then the medical professional would scratch a line through my, you know, my paper. And that kind of act can be very, um, it's minimizing, you know, it's kind of dehumanizing. It basically says, well, this part of this person doesn't exist. And it does. It's just that I don't know it because of the circumstances that began my life. And I, I feel like some of it is clinical training. Some of it is just personal sensitivity to another human being's perspective, right? You got to recognize, like, if I tell you that someone in my family just passed away, the first thing on your mind should be, I need to make sure to say, I'm really sorry to hear about your loss. That's a natural thing that people do because death and dying are something that we all experience. Adoption is not something that we all experience. Therefore, the sensitivities associated with it are not well known to a lot of people. And one of my pet peeves, I'm gonna take you tangentially on a moment here is when you, I didn't used to think about this when I was younger, but now when you watch a movie and the punchline is, oh, he's adopted, right? That mess gets under my skin. That That is us as a punchline. And it's possible that before when I was, you know, sipping the Kool-Aid on this thing, I may have made that joke. But now that I understand it and I'm out of the fog, I recognize that that's a very insensitive thing to say about a person. That person is not part of us. And that's what makes this funny is they are over there in that other family and we're over here normal and okay. Sorry about that. This, 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 it happens. I, I don't, this is the first time it's happened to me, but I have heard of it. So I'm just doing a quick check-in. Sorry about that. That was really hard to hear. Um, and very, 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 very sorry to everybody. Just holding some space for that. But I think- That's the first time for me too. I'm very sorry that happened. Goodness. And um, we have a little bit of time left. Um, I think Damon probably went to handle some tech stuff. Um, But, but, the end of the day, um, we got a lot on our plates, and uh, you know, this th- these are such healing and sacred spaces 
So um, it's really unfortunate that, that that happens. But the truth of the matter is, this is this is the reality we're living in and these things are happening. So if this hasn't happened to you before now, you know, so please prepare your young people or anybody you're in a home with that is a young person on Zooms um, or anybody else that you care and love about that these things are real and that um, they're jarring and um, to, you know, to prepare space if there is something that happens like this, that there is a space to, to process it and, um, you know, to talk about, you know, what was heard and why that may have been hard. Um, it sounds like everybody got muted, so I apologize for that incredibly rude interruption. Uh, April, where were you? I apologize for, I didn't hear your last point. Where did you leave off? Um, well, I, I don't actually remember, but we just, we were holding some space for what was a little tough moment. And um, what I would say is this, like the, all of that, what just happened sort of meet, brings us to the reality of there is, a, there is like, a, you know, so much complexity in our world right now. Um, what I find very interesting and not, not that I like it, but the truth of the matter is that, um, so those of us who've been swimming in the complexity pool for our entire lives can meet some of this with, you know, a little bit more of, of, you know, of a, not an understanding, but just the fact that I swim in complexity all day and have since I, you know, left my family of origin. Um, so that just means that, you know, one, going back to some what's been tracking here, taking really good care of ourselves, making community spaces like this for our, for ourselves to be in conversation, to be, you know, holding, you know, some 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 grace and softness for for us um, as individuals, and at the same time to like to require that those people around us step up their game. And, and that, you know, the professionals, the parents, um, the, us as a community that we are, are, are doing things like this, Damon, that you've been so amazing to, to host and bring us together on, because, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot. And um, without this support and without these connections, um, we'd be doing it solo. And this, th that's just, that's, that's not okay anymore. So I'm grateful to you, Haley, too, and, and to Damon for, you know, being part of this and for everybody on this, on this, um, in the zoom right now. Yeah. Thank you. That's well said. It's, um, I gotta say it's, it's a privilege to be entrusted with the work that we're doing. And I don't always know what the, what direction it's going. I, I really do sort of take it person by person as it comes as a podcaster. I think that that's important. Um, and, and I think that that, building one person up and being there in the, in the moment with them creates a collective calm and sense of um, sort of a therapeutic almost session that allows people to relax and let go in a way that they never have before. And, and I personally feel a lot of gratitude for anybody who entrusts me, and I'm sure you guys feel the same way with with their story, their journey, their personal feelings, their intimate experiences, not all of which have been awesome. Some have, and that's really incredible. And I'm super happy that it has been. Not everybody gets that. And I think that it's incredible um, that folks feel that they have found a place to open up. And that's you know attributable to each one of you guys. So we're almost at time. Uh, so I wanna just take a moment to go back to each of you and just offer you a couple of minutes to just share some parting thoughts and uh, things you'd like to leave the audience with. Uh, I started off with Haley. So April, let me turn to you and take your, give your, let us know what's on your mind. 
I have a lot of gratitude. Um, and speaking of that, just as a, as a way to sort of round out, um, you know, Thanksgiving is coming and it's a time where many of us in the extended family of adoption and in the world will be sitting around with family and we'll be spending time with family, even in the new reality of, of being somewhat um, disconnected due to the pandemic. Um, that said, thematically, um, I think about all the things that have hung on the edges at Thanksgiving where people start in my family to do the, to the genetic comparison. Anytime people that are related and share genes get together, they start to do that comparison of like, oh, Cooper looks like, you know, Grammy looks like, and they do that thing. And, um, you know, it's just, it's a time where we can think about what we might need as individuals, as adopted persons, as we've, you know, probably gone to many a Thanksgiving day table without mirrors and without having that genetic, you know, holding where they're literally um, times where we're saying our, our Thanksgiving prayer. And we think about, we, 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 we think about, we pray for all the people who aren't with us, but we never once prayed for my family of origin that was missing. Right. So it's like all these things that we can do as we think about these containers of family of holidays throughout the year that can be prompts that can be ways in which, you know, loved ones, um, that are around us can be coached and educated. So if there's something you need and you think about at Thanksgiving, don't hesitate to ask a loved one, a trusted friend, a family member to be in support of you around that table this year. Um, so that, that's what I would leave with is like, you deserve that holding and support. Um, you know, it's coming. We, we now we know, we know what the calendar is like, we know what's coming around the next bend. So if that's a time and space that you need support, don't hesitate to ask for it. And don't even have, from, I will put my, don't hesitate to reach out to me on social media if you need something, because um, we all we all need that space. Haley, how about for you? Well, um, I wanna just thank you both for including me in this conversation. And I wanna express my thanks to the adoptee community for, how well they love and support each one of us and our fellow adoptee podcasters who are lifting up adoptee voices. It's such a privilege to do this work. And I also just wanna say that if you're struggling, if you're feeling lonely, um, there are so many of us that want to come and walk alongside you. And um, just as April invited, you know, so many of us are willing to get in the DMs and chat with you, um, connect you with resources, connect you um, to free resources. Um, if therapy is out of your budget, which it is for so many, you know, one of the reasons I love the healing series is it's free and all of our podcasts are a free resource for you. Um, so we can help connect you to um, places where you can get support for free. And so I encourage you um, to um, find someone that you can chat with if you're having a really hard time right now. Um, I know sometimes it's hard, hard to say that. And, um, you know, when you're in a really tough spot, it's hard to do that. So if you're adopted and you have a friend you know is, um, make sure you're checking in on them if you have the energy and the space. Uh, it's a hard time for everyone right now, um, especially. And I know adoptees really struggle with loneliness um, often. And so um, I think it's always a welcome when people check in on me. And so if you can extend that to someone, if you have it in your tank, I'd encourage you to do that. Um, so thank you again, Damon um, and April, for your amazing service 
to the adoptee community. We appreciate both of you so very much. And I just want to honor the hours and hours of work I know you've put in to serving adoptees. Um, it's not taken lightly and it's not without gratitude on my part. That's so, that's so awesome. Thank you so much. It is, it's uh, what I like to term a passion project. It's really great work. Um, I'm seeing a lot of comments thanking each one of you for the work that you do. And I wanna thank you for joining me here today. I think this has been a really great discussion. Uh, we've, we could have probably gone on for another hour and a half, but there's just no way to do that because there's so many different things that we could try to cover. But my appreciation to April of Born in June, Raised in April, Haley of Adoptees On, and to everybody here in the adoption community who came to join us and be present, I really appreciate it. Thank you for sharing your love for us. We love you guys back and we hope that you all are um, staying safe out there. It's been an incredible session and uh, I just wanna let you know that this will be available on YouTube later and hopefully April and Haley will make this available in their own channels as well. So um, if you've got questions about how to start a podcast, I'm sure you can each reach out to any one of us. We'd be happy to give you a little bit of light coaching on how it is that we've set up our own platforms, how it is that we've gotten ourselves to a place where we can amplify voices and help you think through uh, the niche of the audience that you would like to address. Because as has been said, there are so many nuances to adoption. I would love to hear a late discovery adoptee podcast. I would love to hear a natural parent's podcast that talk about their experience having relinquished a child. There's a lot of different ways we could go with this. And I think there's a lot of opportunity for everyone. So I just want to say thanks to everybody for being here and being present. And I wish everybody the best. Stay safe. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye.